Welcome to the Kansas Reflector podcast and a timely discussion with Governor Laura Kelly, a Democrat seeking a second term as the state's chief executive. Governor Kelly is a former state senator from Topeka and is traveling the state to make her case for re-election. Welcome. It's great to be here with you, Tim. It's good of you to come back and chat with us. Um, we didn't scare you off after the earlier times you were here. You can never scare me off, Tim. <laughs> so the August 2nd primary is around the corner and some might be surprised that you have an opponent. Uh, Richard Karnowski, I believe, of Emmett, Kansas. And how, how do you rate your chances against Richard? I think I'll do just fine. Um, I, I think I've got a bit more name recognition and probably more money in the bank. Uh, so, uh, And uh, I, I think uh, folks have been pretty happy with what I've done as governor, so I, I don't think they see any reason to fire me right now. Okay. The point here is to discuss your work as governor the past uh, nearly four years and your approach to the fall campaign. But I wanted to ask about the proposed abortion amendment to the Kansas Constitution that's going to be on the ballot in a couple weeks. More than 11 million has been invested overall by both sides in that campaign, which is essentially about whether a woman has a right to bodily autonomy, including abortion. Where do you stand on the amendment? Well, of course, Tim, I am uh, fully supportive of women's rights. Uh, to control their own body, uh, and I have always been an advocate for women's reproductive health, uh, and I continue to be. Uh, I think uh, you know the amendment uh, is written in such a way that um, the proponents of the amendment uh, want to suggest that this would just leave things as they are in Kansas, but that's not true. Uh, what would happen if uh, that amendment were to pass? is that the legislature would immediately come back uh, with uh, some very severe restrictions on a woman's uh, ability to control her own fate. Uh, so, you know, I will be voting no. Uh, I believe in women's rights and everybody else's rights, and I'll do what I can to protect them. Yeah, the polling looks like it could be a close, uh, close contest. There. I think it would be very close. Your presumed opponent in November is Republican Attorney General Derek Schmidt. I know that's skipping forward a little bit, but can you explain how you uh, intend to approach this fall campaign? Yeah, I can. Really by doing more of what we've been doing since I took office in January of 19, you know, continuing to focus on the bread and butter issues for Kansans. Um, you know, we have now fully funded our schools for the last four years. That was incredibly important to Kansans, and, and we've been able to do that. Uh, we needed to stabilize our budget. Our budget was a mess uh, when I came into office. Uh, and not only have we been able to fully fund you know, basic essential services in the state, uh, we've also been able to uh, eliminate the sales tax on food. Uh, and we are now sitting on the largest ending balance in state's history. We've got about $1.5 billion in our ending balance. And that doesn't count the $960 million, almost a billion, in our rainy day fund. So we are, we are well positioned, uh, we are fiscally sound, uh, and this is going to allow us to continue to grow as we have been over the past three and a half years. One of the topics that you've spoken about, I think, recently is economic development and job growth in Kansas. That's a, a goal of every governor of, in every state, of course. And I, I want to look more closely at that. Your administration has tracked a rising curve in terms of, I think, private sector investment in Kansas and do you want to talk about just that generally? Well, you know, I knew when I came into office uh, and Kansas was in such bad shape, you know, we were still reeling from the tax experiments of 2012 and 2013. 
Uh, fortunately, but the budget had stabilized somewhat because uh, while I was in the legislature, we overturned uh, most of that uh, tax experiment. Uh, but we were still, uh, you know, not flush. And I realized then, right early on, that if I wanted to be able to fund the services that I felt essential, our roads, our schools, our foster care system, uh, that I was going to have to grow this economy and do it quickly. Um, you know, I have no interest in raising taxes. Uh, you know, I think our property taxes are too high, and obviously I wanted to eliminate food sales tax. Uh, so the only other way to accomplish my goals was to grow the economy and increase the amount of revenue coming into the state. Uh, so we set out, uh, and we've been very successful. You know, since 2019, when CNBC named us the comeback state of the year, you know, and then the next year we set a record for the most new capital investment uh, in our state's history. We've now won two gold shovels in a row. That's a big, big deal. And we got the Governor's Cup. Uh, in 2021, we were recognized as the state with the most new uh, capital investment per capita. Kansas is actually number one in that category. Uh, that speaks volumes. Uh, you know. And then, as I think most people know, just last week, uh, we landed the largest economic development uh, project in the history of the state when Panasonic uh, signed on the dotted line to bring 4,000 jobs, uh, 4,000 more when we talk about ancillary jobs, and $4 billion in capital investment. So we're now over $13.5 billion in capital investment since I took office and nearly 50,000 new and retained jobs. We've been, that's allowed us to do everything that we've been doing uh, without raising taxes, in fact, cutting taxes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Panasonic is an earth-shattering uh, kind of thing. And the idea is that it will be built in DeSoto on the former, former <coughs> Army ammunition plant. Um, as part of the package to get Panasonic to choose Kansas, Kansas is going to spend more than $800 million in incentives. Good investment for Kansas taxpayers? It's absolutely a wonderful investment and a smart investment because, yes, we will be uh, investing that kind of money if Panasonic produces. You know, that's one of the safeguards that we built around those uh, incentives is that they've got to build it, they've got to hire the people before they get any of the money. So it's, this is not going to be a Foxcom in Wisconsin. Uh, we, we learned from other states' mistakes and, and built in uh, all of those guardrails. So I'm very confident that uh, you know, Panasonic will produce. They will hire the folks. And what we estimate is that every year we will see a $2.5 billion increase in economic activity in the state. You know, so, yeah, we're investing a lot of money, but we are going to get a huge return on that investment over time. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you think about your, your record on economic development, do you, do you sense that there's any governor that in a four-year period has done more? Do you have a way of judging that? Well, I do know <clears throat> that no governor in Kansas has ever done uh, this. I meant Kansas. Yeah, uh, not even in eight years. Uh, you know, we look back at the last administration to see uh, what had happened over their eight years, and they brought in less new capital investment in eight years than we have done in three and a half. I know people like to get uh, an issue attached to their governorships, like some people want to be the education governor. You probably said that to some degree. But do you have any inkling that you might be the eco-devo governor? 
Well, that's certainly what my Secretary of Commerce and Lieutenant Governor David Tolan calls me. Uh, you know, he refuses to uh, cut a ribbon or, or put a shovel in the ground without reminding people uh, of how successful we have been in economic development. So, you know, I want to continue to be the education governor. I think education is the bedrock for economic development, actually. Uh, you can't have economic development if you don't have an educated workforce. Uh, and as I've always said, ultimately, I want... Uh, my legacy to be uh, Kansas having the most robust, comprehensive early childhood education system uh, in the country. Uh, I think that uh, you know that provides the foundation for uh, successful education programs through K-12 and into higher education and then into the workforce. So uh, it's all wrapped up together. You really can't divorce uh, these things from one another. You've got to have your infrastructure. You've got to have your education system if you want to have economic development. You mentioned K-12 education, and it's been a struggle. Long, long years of legal uh, fighting, Kansas Supreme Court, etc., legislature. And uh, I believe as we sit here right now, we're essentially fully funding obligations to K-12 public schools. Is there any threat going into the future about that somehow being unraveled? Politically, You know, it's been interesting in the four years that I presented budgets, fully funding education, we really have not gotten a lot of pushback uh, from the legislature, even though they are super majority, the other party. Mm -hmm. um, I think Kansans, uh, even the legislature, finally realizes that this is a whole lot better way to do business. Uh, one, to, to provide quality education for our kids, but also to stay out of the courts. You know, we spent 20 years in the courts, uh, and the, the the Supreme Court held on to this case right now. So if we were not to fund it, uh, it would go right back to the Supreme Court. This wouldn't be like when we didn't fund Montoy, uh, you know, and then Gannon was filed. Uh, this one will go right back to the Supreme Court. So I don't think there's much appetite on the part of legislators uh, to... Uh, to go back to court uh, mm -hmm. and, and to deal with that again, you know, they've consistently lost that fight. Uh, I do think, you know, when we talk, though, about education being fully funded, uh, indeed, it has been with the exception of the fact that, that we need to invest more in special education. And, and I tried last year, uh, and that was rejected. I will continue to try to increase uh, the funding that we provide for our special education kids. Uh, you know, when you think about what Kansans really want, it shows up at the ballot box uh, over the years, is that uh, you're talking about taking our local school out of, out of our, our town, our neighborhood. That'll get people riled up. The other thing that gets people uh, unhappy is when they're driving down their local roads or highways and it's just full of potholes. So uh, for many years in Kansas, governors, Democrat and Republican, uh, to various degrees, uh, ripped off uh, the Kansas Department of Transportation money that was earmarked for KDOT mm -hmm. and spent it on other things. And that was very a prominent feature of how the Brownback administration balanced the budget. They took hundreds of millions of dollars out of KDOT. Billions. So overall, yeah. So so um, is the bank of KDOT closed? Is KDOT back in business full-time now? I mean, where are we at? We, we closed the bank of KDOT in this year's budget. Uh, so the, the, the bank is closed and the key is thrown away. 
Um, you know, the other thing that, uh, which means that KDOT is getting all of all of the dedicated sales tax that they were supposed to be getting. But the other thing that people don't know about as much, so more stealth, stealthy, is that uh, we were also using transportation money to pay for things like mental health services and juvenile corrections and all sorts of things. We have now eliminated that. We've taken all of those extraordinary transfers and put them back into the budgets where they belonged, whether it's Department of Children and Families, uh, whether, you know, Department of Aging and Disability Services. So we, we really cleaned up uh, the budget uh, so that uh, the infrastructure programs will be getting their full funding. Uh, and that's important. You know, we, we've been talking about economic development here. You can't have one without the other. We've got to have those. I mean, you know, the, the Panasonic project, for instance, will require some investment uh, in our infrastructure. You've got to have roads for them to get their product, you know, to market. So those things, those things matter. Uh, and uh, it's just part of the overall strategic plan. Uh, to ensure that Kansas stays on the, on the growth path. One consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic, other than great human suffering, was that the federal government got more involved in funding broadband because people were at home, kids from school, workers. And uh, so I think, to a degree, there's some federal funding that came in that has really helped with broadband. But the, your administration also, I think, made a commitment to try to improve that situation. Just what's the update on broadband out there? Yeah, we did recognize uh, the need for broadband expansion all across the state early on in my administration. So we included that actually in our last uh, comprehensive transportation plan, the Ike program. Uh, had some, for the first time in state history, state general funds dedicated to broadband. Then the pandemic hit, and yes, the federal government. Uh, recognize the need you know it's the only way we could educate our kids a lot of ways uh, the only way that some people could see the doctor uh, and clearly a lot of ways you know everybody was remote working so the need uh, was incredible the federal government came in and we invested all of that funding uh, very wisely in fact one of the things that we did to ensure that we were doing things correctly was we actually created an office of broadband development over in the department of commerce uh, so we would have you know folks who were dedicated to that project exclusively uh, and and we could get it done rather than the sort of hit and miss way that it's been dealt with uh, in years past so uh, we have more coming in uh, in the <clears throat> bipartisan infrastructure bill bill uh, that was passed uh, by Congress. So there will be more broadband money coming in. I've uh, asked Secretary of Transportation Julie Lorenz to be our infrastructure czar. So she's convening. I was just down in Wichita. She had 500 people uh, in the auditorium at Wichita State from from our various state agencies that deal with infrastructure, whether it's water, uh, roads, uh, broadband, uh, and then we had local units of government because they'll be instrumental in, in uh, you know, spending, securing and spending uh, this infrastructure money, and then a lot of private sector folks. So we're, we're really working, really focused on making sure that we bring in as many of those federal dollars as we possibly can to Kansas and that they're spent wisely so that we're taking care of of infrastructure needs that we have, whether they're broadband, you know, and I think about you know, our water issues, we've got dams mm -hmm. that are a problem, and obviously we just have water quantity that's a problem in water quality. So uh, we are 
we're focused like a laser and working really hard to ensure that uh, we get the most bang from those federal dollars. When you came in as, in, in, as governor, one of your ideas was to expand Medicaid with the federal government paying probably $0.90 cents on the dollar of that uh, increased cost. That's been blocked, not because it's a foolish idea, but because of politics uh, in the state house. So you think we'll eventually get there? I do. I do. I think uh, when I'm reelected and I'm in my second term and I'm no longer uh, a threat, uh, I think we will see that, you know, because you're right. Uh, you know, I presented four different proposals for Medicaid expansion, all, you know, modified in response to concerns that the legislature had. There was no way to satisfy them because it was going to be blocked just for ideological reasons. Uh, now that, you know, uh, I won't be a threat to them anymore. I think that uh, leadership will finally let uh, the rank and file vote on it. And I think if they had done that in the past, we would have had Medicaid expansion. The sense is the votes are there I, in the House and Senate to do this, but leadership... Well, you, you know we passed Medicaid expansion, the House and Senate did in 2017, and, and uh, Sam Brownback vetoed it, uh, very unfortunately. Uh, and then, uh, actually, I believe the House has passed it mm, again. I think so, yeah. And then, since then, leadership has just blocked any attempt to uh, debate it and vote on it. So yeah. I, I think the votes are there. Uh, you know, our rural hospitals desperately need this, but even our urban hospitals, you know, they're, they're taking care of a lot of uncompensated care patients, and uh, that, that takes a toll and just costs other patients more because they've got to make up that money somehow. So, yeah, I think we'll get it done. <clears throat> on the state tax front, there's been a lot of, a lot of proposals are made, fewer passed, but one of the big ticket items that got through the legislature in last session was the idea of, of gradually reducing the state's 6.5% uh, sales tax on groceries. And uh, you, you had a different proposal. You wanted to do it in one swoop. Uh, if, if your proposal had passed right now, we wouldn't be paying sales tax on the food we go buy at the store. Right. Uh, but this is going to be a several-year process, I guess. And so what do you make of that? Well, it won't be a several-year process if I have anything to say about it. I uh, guess any law passed yeah. this past session could be modified next year. Uh, right? And that's precisely uh, what I would want to do is come back right away. Uh, you know, this is another thing that got hung up. It's an election year. You know, they didn't want me to have the big win. Uh, so they came up with this graduated and not started till after the election. So I'll come back with my original proposal, and um, there's really no reason uh, not to go ahead and just do it and do it all in January. You know, have it implemented. It turns by out March. the state has the resources to, to handle do, this immediately. You know, we do have the resources. You know, I I'm truly a fiscal conservative. You know, I don't spend money I don't have, and I hate going into debt. So you can trust that. Uh, when I came up with the proposal to uh, totally eliminate the sales tax all at once, I had my budget director, my revenue guys, uh, really going through with a fine-tooth comb to make sure that this was sustainable, you know, because this was going to be an ongoing, you know, decrease in revenues that would be coming in. I needed to make sure mm -hmm. all of this economic development, though, that we've had, it's real. You know, th those are dollars that will be coming in year after year, probably growing on themselves. So I know the money is there uh, to do this. Uh, you know, and I know there's a lot of other money that you know, our large surplus, our rainy day fund, we've got all that. Kind of stuff. Those things we could invest in one time. 
That's one of, one of the reasons that I suggested that we do the $250 rebate uh, to every Kansas taxpayer, which would be you know, $500 for a married couple. Uh, you know, particularly this year when inflation is so bad, I really wanted to give people cash on the barrel head so that it would mitigate uh, some of the pressure of groceries, gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, couldn't get that done, uh, you know, uh, but and I'll have to rework the numbers to see where we are. But if if that um, if that money is still there uh, when I get back into office uh, next term, uh, I will. I will likely present that as an option again because, um, uh, you know, when we have the kind of surplus that we've had, uh, you know, we obviously need to keep uh, a fair amount so that we can ride out any kind of downturn in the economy. Right. Uh, but then we shouldn't hoard the rest of it. You know, we really ought to give that back to people, and particularly right now when, when inflation is such an issue for people. Your administration has been marked by the COVID-19 pandemic just occurred while you were governor, and uh, I noticed. you just had to deal with it. Uh, so you've kind of been able to relax a little bit, I think, about it, but you know, COVID is still out there. Do you, how do you think it might affect Kansas long-term? There's, there's long haulers that have medical consequences of it, but you think it's something that we'll actually be considering reporters writing about and politicians thinking about a decade from now? I th- I personally think that COVID is here to stay, uh, much like the flu, um, and I I would imagine you know, and I am not an epidemiologist. I'm not a physician, so well, neither am I. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but just given uh, that I'm married to one yep. and uh, hang around uh, a lot of them and just and pay a lot of attention to what's going on nationally. I would. I expect that we will. I expect that uh, much like you get your flu shot every year, you know, we're very likely to have a COVID shot. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we have to do that every year. Your, your answer uh, spurs another question, and that is, there's been some skeptics about the COVID nineteen vaccine, and I I think there's been a downtick in the number of kids that are being generally vaccinated. If I'm not mistaken. Do you see a threat in that? Well, the uptick was never very high, particularly with our very youngest kids, uh, you know, our zero to fives, uh, the vaccine that just came available uh, recently. But, you know, the vaccine skeptics, I think, just gained ground, and it could affect kids. Well, yeah, I think what we need to be on the lookout for is whether or not that skepticism then flows over into things like your measles, mumps, rubella, vaccinations, you know, I would hope not. Uh, it's been miraculous uh, what those vaccines have been able to do and the the deaths and the disabilities that they have prevented in our kids. You know, I'm old enough that I remember polio. You know, I had friends, uh, I had one friend whose brother uh, was in bed for a year in a full body cast uh, from polio. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore, and it's because of the vaccine. And I, I think that uh, hopefully we'll get past this. It's it just it, it was just such a divisive issue. It got so political uh, when it should have been just a public health issue. Yeah. So a lot. Speaking of politics, a lot was made by the former president Donald Trump about election security. There's still some debate about that. Do you have any concerns about the August or November elections in Kansas? 
I really don't. You know, um, our Secretary of State, Scott Schwab, uh, I think has done a good job in ensuring that our elections are safe and secure. Um, and uh, I think he continues to do that. I think our local elected officials take their jobs very, very seriously uh, and, uh, and take a lot of pride in doing it and doing it right. So I'm very comfortable that that will continue. Um, you know, I know they're, they're a little overwhelmed with the response uh, to the primary the, with the ballot amendment on. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're seeing you know, uh, double, triple, quadruple the number of folks coming through the door. So they're hustling. In They'll terms of voting yeah. already, but I know there was a registration uptick. There's been a registration uptick, but there's also been, uh, you know, many more advanced ballots coming in uh, and then more people to polls. I mean, I've, I've heard just anecdotally from people who say things like, never before in a primary have I waited in the line. Hmm. Interesting. Do you want to close out with a, with a pitch to Kansans to maybe go participate in the uh, electoral process here? I, I am a firm believer uh, in exercising one's civic duty and responsibility uh, to vote. You know, I think if, if you want to have a voice uh, in what happens in your life, in your world, uh, then it's important that you take the time, make the effort uh, to go to the polls and, and elect people you think uh, will truly represent uh, your values and and your your concerns. I think we're going to have to leave it there. Governor Laura Kelly, I want to thank you for joining us on the Kansas Reflector podcast today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.